Sunday school choir is a tough act to follow. They have some, uh, looks like we've got one of the gals uh, with a potential solo career coming up here. Uh, my boys had fun jumping as well, so jumping for the Lord here. Um, but anyways, I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we're just going to kind of jump into really the reason we're here, the, the greatest celebration that we could have uh, related to Easter here today. So uh, if you guys will, let's just bow our heads, and we'll pray and just commit our time here again. Uh, Lord Jesus, we do just thank you so much um, that we are here today. God, that we are here and uh, really in, in a miracle or in the middle of a miracle here that you brought about. God, we just thank you that you transformed this building or this pile of bricks and dust and dust and dust, Lord God. And uh, we just thank you that you've transformed it into a place where we can worship you, into a place where we can show your love to our neighbors and our and your love to one another. and and our love to you, Lord. And God, we just commit this time to you. I pray you'd speak to each one of our hearts here. I pray that you would uh, strengthen our faith, um, grow our faith, Lord, in each one of us here. We just ask that you would uh, illuminate your scriptures to us through your spirit. We ask for all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to start here um, just to kind of set the stage with one of the um, with one of the gospel accounts of that first Easter morning, if you will. Um, and if you have a Bible, you can look there with me. If not, I'll just read it here. But um, if you have one uh, maybe nearby or under your chair, these house Bibles, it's page, uh, page 1074. And we're going to be reading from uh, the witness account of uh, the disciple John, the Apostle John, here in John chapter 20. And we're just going to use this to kind of set the stage of this morning, set the context for us before we go on here. John chapter 20. And we're going to read uh, you know, half of it and then we'll skip to the end there just for time's sake. But um, we'll start here. John 20 and verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. So Peter and the other disciple started running for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken away my Lord, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. 
Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them um, that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. We'll skip to the last two um, verses of the chapter here, which John writes here. He says, um, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. So, um, one of the questions I just want to start off, just a few questions here this morning to ask you is, um, really it relates to, to the title here. What's, um, what is the big deal about Easter? What's the thing on Easter Day that stands out that it's known for? You all know the answer, don't be afraid. The resurrection. Easter, the big deal about Easter is the resurrection. Okay, you probably already knew that. I think another question that I've wrestled with from time to time, and I, and I freshly um, wrestled with it this time, you know, related to this message, but what's the big deal about the resurrection? What's the big deal about it? You know, I remember there was a time when I was a, a young Christian that I thought, you know, if I had to pick one event, one day, what's the greatest event, the greatest day in all of Christianity? What would you say? When he was born. Someone else. There's a lot of good options out there. When he died for our sins. Good Friday, which we just celebrated several days ago. Other options. Easter. Yes, that's good. Thanks for not going to that one first. But, uh, but, but I remember there was a time where I thought, you know, if I had to pick one event, for me it would be Good Friday. When Jesus died for my sins. If that's all I had, I would take it to the bank. But little did I know... That, you know, I don't know if you're like me, if, if you understood the importance. Do you, do you know what the big deal about the resurrection is? I think uh, what we're going to do this morning is take a look at some of God's thoughts and why the resurrection is the greatest event that ever occurred. Why it is the, the foundation of our faith. Why it is that the resurrection actually proves that what happened on Good Friday is We're going to take a look at this morning. Why is the resurrection such a big deal? And, you know, I hope, uh, as I wrestle with this, these are some verses that God put on my heart. I hope they're encouraging to you, that they help you come away with a, maybe a greater understanding uh, of what the resurrection should mean to each one of us, what it meant to those first disciples who, who discovered the empty tomb and met with the risen Lord. What's the big deal about Easter? Um, we're going to start with this point here, and it's simply this. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the crux of Christianity. I'm going to explain what that means here, but first, if you guys would turn with me, we're going to look at um, what the Apostle Paul has to say about the resurrection. I think it helps bring some clarity to the importance here. And that's uh, found in page 11, uh, 1139, if you have one of the house Bibles. Um, and I'll read it here. It's 1 Corinthians 15, and I'll start in just verse 12. And this is what the Apostle Paul says. See if you think all events you know, about Jesus are the same or if one stands out here. 
He says, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that He raised Christ from the dead. But He did not raise Him from the dead, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. Futile. Uh, And you still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we, we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. And here's the kicker right here. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own turn, Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he will hand over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. But Paul is saying here in so many different ways that uh, if the resurrection did not happen, happen, our faith is useless. It's in vain. Uh, If the resurrection didn't happen, it's really to say that Jesus didn't keep his word because he said he was coming back. And it shows that he couldn't follow through when he said he's forgiven you. How could he follow through if he couldn't keep his word about overcoming death? And if it didn't happen, then the apostles were all false witnesses. And what they were saying would have been a malicious lie to deceive people. And he goes on and on. And if if the resurrection didn't happen, then your sins really didn't get paid for because he couldn't pay for them on the cross because he wasn't God in the flesh. And you're still in your sins. And everyone who had died for their faith up to that point would be lost because there was no way they could have been saved by Christ anyways. And he just goes on, but finally he just ends the whole thing to put it to rest and just says, but he did rise from the dead. He is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And um, you know the word crux is kind of a, I like its, a, its meaning as it relates to rock climbing. How many of you have rock climbed at all or have ever rock climbed? I have to raise my hand that I am not a rock climbing professional. <laughs> I have a pair of rock climbing shoes that cost a lot and I got them on sale and I loaned them to somebody and I hope you still have them. Um, but I did do a few rock climbs along the way and I remember once my co-pastor took me up on a climb and, uh, you know, um, the, I think the crux when it relates to rock climbing, it's kind of a, something on part of that climb, part of that route that it kind of rates the, the climb on, on its technical difficulty or the strength required or certain things, but it's kind of the maneuver along that route or route, whatever, Daryl, where are you? I need my rock climbing experts here, Daryl, Sandra. Um, but anyways, you know, kind of based on that move, it rates the whole climb because of that. And, you know, I remember a time I went on a climb, uh, I, I forget how high the rating system goes, but I think I did one that was like a 5.8. And, and that's really not much. Um, but it was more than I was expecting. You know, my friend took me on this climb. It's over on Lumpy Ridge up in Estes Park. And, uh, you know, he didn't tell me when we started climbing that, I don't know if it was the crux of the climb or not, but we had to climb up this crack. And what you had to do to climb the crack was you cram your hand in the crack, you make a fist, and you twist it, and that is your new handhold. And then, uh, then you reach up higher, you stick your hand in, you make a fist, you twist it, you let go of this hand, and that's how you climb up the crack. 
And I was so mad that my buddy took me up that on my first climb. Um, you know, and you get halfway up this cliff and there's like, what, what are you going to do, you know? You can't beat him up because you're roped into him and stuff like that. You, you wanted to be safe. But you know, the name of that climb, you might look it up sometime, it was called the Bookmark. And I felt like it should have been called the, the, you know, the Rocky Precipice of Doom or something like that. But, uh, but the point is on, on a climb, there's, there's always something that rates the rest of it. But, you know, the same is true when it comes to our faith and religions and what happens, uh, you know, when it comes to life and death and all of that. And, and Christianity has something that defines it like no other religion, no other philosophy. You know, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the defining maneuver of Christianity. And there is nothing else like it. And you've got to catch that. We live in a day and age. We had a friend that's out preaching on campus this last week. He's preached for 30 years. Just goes around. He's an open-air preacher. And it was unbelievable just to see that when he was out there sharing, you know, he had three lines. He said, you know, I don't have to have too much doctrine to get people fired up. All I've got to do is say three things and people are going to be yelling at me. And the three things were this. God is real. The Bible is true. And Jesus is the way to heaven. And you know, there were people that were swearing, that were angry. The first two hours he was on campus on Monday, the cops were there twice. The the second visit, they ended up arresting the guy who was so angry he had taken the preacher's iPhone 4 and chucked it down the sidewalk and shattered it. And uh, people were fired up by, by the simple things of saying, God is real, the Bible is true, and Jesus is the way to heaven. But you know, in this day and age that we live, it's kind of offensive. You know, it's kind of like... Uh, you know, everyone has their own opinion. If it's true for you, then that's great. And this is true for me. But when you have something that, that makes your belief stand out and rise above all the rest, all of a sudden, uh, you're controversial. And I wouldn't doubt in, in time here if, if having a belief like ours in Jesus Christ who has this defining maneuver that nobody else has, eventually that's probably going to become a hate crime. Because who are you to say that you're right and your way is the way to heaven and everyone else is wrong? You know, but we have a defining maneuver that is is unlike anything else. And um, we've got to realize that the resurrection, when it comes to our faith, the resurrection is everything. It's a big deal. And we've got to catch that, men and women. And and that's that's in our favor here. And um, next thing I want to talk about, really, the resurrection is, uh, you know, I love this. Christianity begins where all the religions of the world end, at death. And it starts with the resurrection. Men and women, we've got something that's different. It is above all the rest. The defining maneuver of our faith is unlike anything else. If He has risen from the dead, if Christ has indeed risen from the dead, the first fruits of those, you know, His defining maneuver has really paved the way for you and I, for those who believe in Him, will have the same thing happen to them. Here we go, and it is the foundation of our faith. So I don't know, is this... What's the big deal about the resurrection? It's everything, folks. Don't miss it. You've got to catch it. Look at this next point here. The resurrection of Jesus Christ was a game changer. You know, let's read this verse here. I love this from Romans 1. It's talking about Jesus and, and the gospel that we have because of Jesus. It says the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who, as to his human nature, was a descendant of David, and who, through the spirit of holiness, was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. And, you know, it's kind of like uh, 
I think in a lot of ways when it comes to what happens when you die, um, you know, I, I've heard this time and time again, well, you just don't know. It's kind of, your guess is as good as mine. You know, how can we really know? Nobody really knows. But men and women, when, when Jesus rose from the dead, uh, it changed everything. It was a game changer. No longer, no longer was it that, you know, we we'll just have to wait and see what happens to me. He said this. And the Buddha said this. And so-and-so said this. You know, Jesus was the only one that got different results than everybody else. You know, they all had their philosophies. Now, here's what I think happened. Here's what I think happened. They died and they turned to dust. Their bodies turned to dust, just like the Bible says it would. But Jesus, He took His body. It did not decay. It did not become dust. And He rose from the grave, unlike anybody else. You know, it's not a guessing game anymore. Men and women, we got to catch this. I hope you all catch this. The resurrection of Jesus Christ was a game changer. It's not a guessing game anymore. It's not like we'll have to wait and see. Folks, we've got, we've got Jesus as the sole authority when it comes to life and death and heaven and hell and eternity. You've got to know that because no one else in this world is going to tell you that. I guarantee they will not tell you that out on this campus here or any campus in the United States you go to that's secular. They won't tell you, yeah, what Jesus did... It was a game changer. People, you know, it's kind of like you're playing with the kids in the neighborhood and, you know, you've you got something and, and they're like, they, they see something like this, they're kind of like, I'm going to take, I'm going to take my toys and go home, you know. Um, I'm going to take my, my opinions, my myths, my philosophies and go home because that's not fair. He rose from the dead. No one else could do that except for God. God, God, uh, accredited Jesus' work that he did on the cross by raising from the dead, by giving him a result that nobody else got. Men and women was a game changer. No one else has the credentials like Jesus. Because of his love, there's no other religion that has a God that came into this world because he loved us and was concerned about us. And Jesus came and he suffered in this broken world and he lived a perfect life and he died on the cross. But he came into this world, but, but he overcame. That's really the game changer. You know, the Bible says he's coming again. And then we're going to be confident of this. He's got credentials like no one else. He claimed it. He lived a sinless life. Nobody else claimed that of the religious leaders and philosophers. Um, he had miracles. He had prophecies. No other religious leader was preceded by prophecies like Jesus. They, they don't dabble in that because it's hard to do. And then again, particularly was he wrote from the grave. You know, the greatest miracle of them all. But, man, when we got to catch that, you know, it leads really to my next point here. The resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us great confidence to be witnesses for Christ. You know, and, and I think, uh, boy, as I was chewing on this, what's the big deal about the resurrection? What's the big deal about Easter? I thought I knew the answer was the resurrection. There's nothing quite like it. But there's more than that. You know, the first disciples, the apostles, were saturated with the knowledge, the truth that Jesus rose from the dead. It was the foundation that gave them confidence to go tell everybody about it. Because otherwise, you know, people got offended just like they do today. They got a lot more offended back then, I think. You know, we might have some things changing in our world, but um, I love this verse here. It just says, they're preaching at one point. This is Peter, and he's saying... But you, and he's talking to his audience, and you put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. You know, the, the witnesses of this, you know, we have their eyewitness account here, the, the record's right here. And one of the things that uh, Tom Short was sharing out on campus that I just thought was encouraging was that 
what we have here, believe it or not, contrary to what your professor on the university might say, what we have here is a historical record. You know, and you might just say, let the record show that the witnesses attested to Jesus rising from the dead as a fact. That's what the record is. You know, it's not like Christianity. It would be a lot harder lot to say, well, the record shows that it never happened. There's no such thing. These guys are just making it up. And Christians kind of have to rebuff that and turn it over. But the reality is, the record shows that this happened, that the witnesses saw this. They, they gave their lives testifying to this. And that's the historical record, men and women. Um, you know, when it comes to cross-examining, usually someone shares their testimony. You know, you think of one of these, a uh, law and order or something like that. Someone takes the witness stand, they share, and then what happens? The bad guys get to cross-examine them. Well, you know, when it came to cross-examining the, the witnesses here, what, what did the cross-examination consist of? You know, it consisted kind of like this. They said, well, you're testifying to the resurrection of Jesus and, and therefore this good news of forgiveness and eternal life and here's the deal, stop. Don't do that anymore. We don't like it. And then the next cross-examination was stop or we'll punish you. And they did get punished. Stop or we'll imprison you. And they were imprisoned. Stop or we'll persecute you to your death. And guess what? All the witnesses... Christ the resurrection they died a martyr's death because they would not let go of what they had seen what they had witnessed they had a great courage even in the face of death they had a great confidence and the men and women we've got to be saturated with the reality of the resurrection so that we can have that same confidence in this day and age that we live you know sometimes people think what this generation needs is Christians that are well adapted we need a new kind of Christian one that kind of blends in, a kind that kind of doesn't rock the boat in this postmodern culture where everybody's right. You know, I don't think this generation needs a new kind of Christian. I think we need the old kind of disciple. The kind of disciple that gave their lives for what they believe. The kind of disciples that in their generation, it was said they turned the world upside down. That's what kind of Christian we need, men and women. That's the kind of Christian we want to be here at the firehouse. We want to reach this generation with Christ and turn the world upside down and, and we'd love to have you join us that's, that's where we're headed by God's grace by the power of the Holy Spirit that's where we're headed I love this here it says that we are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit who God has given to those who obey you know these guys saw it firsthand. You know, I love the quote about Thomas Thomas touched the hands of Jesus and he touched the side of Jesus so that you and I wouldn't have to if any of you would have wanted to do that well Thomas did it for you and that's a good thing, because I, I probably would have wanted to touch those myself. But, but he goes on to say, you know, the Holy Spirit had these things reported. The Holy Spirit, it says, it, it, it longs to glorify Jesus. The Holy Spirit longs to testify about Jesus. The Holy Spirit was there. And the Holy Spirit is looking for a vessel through whom he can testify today. Will you be that vessel? These apostles were, these disciples were, and the Holy Spirit still wants to testify that what the Spirit has recorded in these scriptures is true. And you can let the Spirit testify through you that this word is true. And you can let the Spirit testify through your life how it has been changed by your faith in Jesus Christ. Next week I'm going to be sharing just some of my story of how God has changed my life, how He brought me to faith, how He brought me to forgiveness and freedom and uh, a a future and a fullness in life that I did not have before. I hope you would join us next week as well. But these guys, they had a confidence. 
talking about this, and it was filled with the power from the Holy Spirit. And men and women, we need that in this generation today. One of the things that came away with some campus is that it's a dark world out there, and it's getting darker and darker, and we need a few lights to shine. Firehouse churches want to be a light in this neighborhood, in this community, we want to be a light in this world, and we do hope it's going to be Last thing I want to share about what's the big deal about the resurrection is the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what you believe about the resurrection is vital in your own salvation. The first here kind of sheds a little light on that. It says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You know, and, and really what it's saying there is that um, if you believe that Jesus, if you confess Him as Lord, you surrender being Lord of your own life, and you give that job up to Jesus. And if you believe that He really was the Savior who, who came to save us from our sins, you know really the resurrection being raised from the dead just proved that He was the Savior, and that He did die for the sins. And it's got to be a part of your faith if you want to be saved from the punishment due to your sins. You know, and really, uh, I just want to finish here with the, the good news about Easter. And, and the good news about Easter can be summarized in this one verse, and many of you know it here. But it's this. It's, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And, and really, what happened on, on Good Friday that Jesus finished the work that was required for your forgiveness and mine. And rising, on, rising from the dead on Easter Sunday... It just gave proof that that's really what happened. You know, if he had just died, he could have just been a good person, a good teacher who just was murdered unjustly. Or he could have been a martyr. There's many martyrs out there. But by rising from the grave, he proved that he was God in the flesh, that he could pay the eternal punishment for your sins and mine as the eternal son. And he offers forgiveness to anyone who would believe in him. And our hope here at the firehouse is is that every one of you would come to a point where where you look to Jesus as your Savior. Like this verse says, that if you confess Jesus as Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And our desire is that every one of you would come to that belief on your own here. And, you know, I think that... This, you know, the message here is that God God loved the world. It's His love that brought Him here. It's His love that brought Him to the cross. You know, people ask, well... What kept Jesus on the cross? Do you think it was the nails? Or do you think it was really it was His love for you and I that kept Him on the cross? And, and why, did, why did He rise from the grave? Because He longed to prove to us that, that He had done it. That He had done everything necessary for us to be saved. And, you know, He came into this world and He overcame this world and, and death. And He's coming again, folks. And, and He gave signs that would indicate when that might be. And I think it's obviously it's sooner than it ever has been in history. But... But things are going on in this world that make you wonder how close is His return. And when He returns, He will find each one of you in one of two places. Each one of you will believe, either believe that He died for you and you've received Him as your Lord and Savior, or you will have not believed that He died for you. And He will return as the rejected Lord and Savior. And right now, every one of you sits in that place. You know, sometimes people ask, what about the people who've never heard and different things? You know, there's some answers and some things on that. I don't know all the details, but what I do know is that you've heard. And you need to make a choice. You believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and He rose again to prove it? Or are you going to be in unbelief? 
You know, the Bible calls unbelief a sin. And if He returns, He will be returned as a rejected Lord and Savior. And our hope, again, as a church, our hope is that none of you, when Christ returns, would be looking on the one you rejected. Because when He returns, you know, it's too late to have faith. You know, being saved is by faith. And uh, everyone's going to know He's for real then. I can't change your mind. I hope that you would change your mind before then, that you would come to believe, as many of us have. And I just want to let you know, um, you know, as a church, uh, we would love this to be a place where some of you, maybe you haven't figured it out. Maybe you're trying to weigh out the options, figure out, you know, you know do your investigation. And I think that's a great thing. But you think you have to be careful because some people are on this lifelong investigating and you don't know how long it's going And some people say, well, I'll do that this evening when I get to my deathbed because I, I want to kind of be Lord for a while here. And no one really says that, but that's what goes on. Um, but you don't know when your deathbed's going to show up. And you don't know when the Lord's going to show up. And... Um, but if you're trying to figure it out, I want to let you know the firehouse is a safe place to do that. We're not going to ridicule you for your questions. We're not going to twist your arm and go like, all right, you ready to pray? Um, you know, it's got to be something that's voluntary. And, and if anyone twists your arm, it's small. Just let one of your pastors know, you know. Um, but I love the idea of our fire station around the corner here, fire station number seven. They put up a sign recently. What does it say? It says a safe place. You know, we want this church to be a safe place for, for those of you that are trying to figure out your faith. Uh, we want this to be a safe place. But we also want to let you know if you're, you're visiting us, some of you are from out of town and you're here to celebrate with us and we thank you that you came. But some of you might have had a, a home church that you're a part of. You know what we'd encourage you to do? Stick with that church and lay down your life with them. You know, we're, we're a new thing on the block here, but man, there's a lot better churches out there than us. Can I just give a disclaimer? Disclaimer. There's a lot more eloquent speakers out there than this one. Um, there's a lot bigger bands and putting out CDs and making money. And if you got a church, stick with it. But if you don't, join us. Join us as we try to lay down our lives. And, and if you're in the mode of shopping around, you know, I just encourage you, stop shopping. Um, you can't shop and serve at the same time. You can't hop around. You know, Rick Warren calls people that hop around from church to church Christian bunnies. You hop around from here to there. And if you're hopping around, you know one thing, you're, if you're hopping around everywhere, you're not helping out anywhere. You're just hopping. And you know what? You can't lay down your life if you're just looking around at all the churches. And Jesus says, lay down your life for one another. Lay down your life for your friends. If that's something you want to do as a Christian, we, we would welcome you. We've got a lot of opportunities to lay down your life here. A lot of them, you know. Um, and, uh, but we're going to go ahead and close in prayer here. You guys would, let's just bow our heads together. And while, while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I'm just going to ask, maybe today there was someone here that God has been working on your heart and you're ready to surrender, that you don't want to be in charge anymore and you're ready to accept Jesus as Lord of your life. And maybe you've been wrestling through, you know, I remember when I came to church for the last time, God had been working on my heart. I had the evidence that I needed. I knew the fight was between who was going to be Lord of my life. And that Sunday, 15 years ago, I surrendered. And I gave my life over to Christ. And maybe someone here today is in that same situation. We've been praying that, that someone might be ready. And maybe you're still trying to figure it out. Maybe this is your first time ever hearing about Jesus. That's fine. But maybe one of you is ready. And you might know who you are. But, but if that's you, I just encourage you to, 
to pray with me here real quick and, and tell, tell God these things that we've talked about here. You know, really it just comes down to telling God that, that you're a sinner who needs a Savior. You know, a Savior is really for someone who knows they need to be saved from their sins. And just being willing to tell God you believe Jesus died on the cross for you and He rose again to prove that He could. And that you're willing to invite Him into your heart as Lord and Savior. And if that's you, I just ask you might pray something simply like this. Dear Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And I believe that you died on the cross to pay for my sins and that you rose again. And I invite you into my heart to be Lord and Savior of my life. I thank you for dying for me. Help me to live for you the rest of my life in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, um, we're also going to pray just to close things here as well. But uh, if that's something that you did today, maybe for the first time, I just encourage you, maybe just 